Hey everyone, welcome to Experience Ministries Discipleship Podcast, where we share biblical principles to help you live your faith. I'm Dave. And I'm Angie. Most of what we share are things we wish we knew sooner in our spiritual journey. And we're praying the Holy Spirit uses these principles to help you grow. This is Episode 6, and today we're talking about the Baptism of Fire. Now, this is kind of a hot topic, and I'm excited to jump into it with you. But I want to start just by letting you know that today it's just you and I. My co-host Angie is not with us today. She'll be back next time. So just settle back, enjoy, and uh, let's dive into this topic about the baptism of fire. Now, I would guess that all of us have asked or been asked the question, why is this happening to me? Or why is God allowing this to happen? These are difficult questions. And really, the answers can be, you know, very complicated, and they can vary depending on the situation. But one of the possible answers that we should explore and consider is this could be the baptism of fire. So as we jump into this topic, I want to start by just looking at a couple of things that we can learn about God from James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. And these things will set the foundation for our topic so that we really have a, a correct view of God in this situation. So let's start by uh, reading James 1, 13 through 17. The NASB says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. Now, the first thing I want us to notice is that God does not tempt us to sin but he does test us. And there is a huge difference between tempting and testing. So this passage makes it clear that we are tempted by our own lusts. This is part of our sinful nature. And if we give in to that temptation, we sin. Sin hurts us, and sin hurts other people. So this is a kind of a unpopular and maybe a little bit of a simplistic answer as to why some bad things happen, but really it's because of sin. Maybe it was our sin, or maybe it was someone else's sin. Sin hurts people. Now, Satan leads the kingdom of darkness, we know that, and it's full of spiritual beings who rebelled against God. These beings do tempt us. They entice us, based on our own lusts and desires. They want us to sin because they know sin hurts us and sin hurts other people. Sin can separate us from God. It brings his judgment. It grieves the Holy Spirit. But God does not tempt us. 
God tests us as a way of proving us. So we can look at this testing as showing our shortcomings, or we can look at it as a way of uh, showing how far we've come. When we pass a test, we are approved. It's a milestone in our learning and growth. So how we view God's test and proving process in us is really important. Sometimes we're tricked into this feeling that God wants us to fail or that he's ruthless and just looking for an opportunity to punish us. That's deception. That is really, guys, that's deception. And if God wanted to rain down judgment on us, he has plenty of reasons and opportunities to do so. He could do it anytime he wanted. That's not God. God isn't looking for an opportunity to, you know, come after us or punish us or get us for something. That's deception. So the second thing I want to really point out from this passage about God is that God is for us. See, it says that every good thing comes from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. The father sent his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty of our sin so we could not be punished, right? So if he was looking for an opportunity to punish us or to get us, why would he send his son to die on the cross for us? See, there's something wrong there in that attitude, in that that mindset that God's after us. He's not after us in terms of punishment. He's after us in terms of forgiving us and restoring a right relationship. So really watch that because that can kind of creep into our thinking really, really easily. So not only did he send his son to pay the penalty of our sin so that we wouldn't be punished, but the father also sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to live a godly life. See, God is for you, not against you. God is on our side. He's not our enemy. And we really have to watch out for that mindset. So if Angie were here, she'd be telling me to get to the point, get on with the topic, because you're off on a little rabbit trail. Well, I kind of am, but it's these little things are important. So I want you to keep them in mind as we discuss the baptism of fire. Biblical baptism means to be immersed or submerged. When we're baptized in water, uh, we're immersed or submerged in water. When we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're immersed or submerged from the inside out with the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives in us, dwells in us, fills us, right? So when we're baptized with fire, we are immersed into fire. Wait, does that even make sense? (laughs) Of course it does. It does if we understand what fire represents in the Bible. And there are two primary things fire represents in the scripture that can help us understand the baptism of fire. The first is that fire represents judgment or vengeance. And some believe that the baptism of fire refers to God's vengeance on sinners or the final judgment. And there are passages that talk about God's fiery judgment 
and his vengeance, um, there, there's actually a lot of them. I mean, you could check out Malachi 4.1, you could read Matthew chapter 13, uh, 24 through 30, and then there's some more uh, later in Matthew 13 about that. There's a lot of passages that talk about uh, God's fiery judgment and his vengeance and things like that. One of the other passages is Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 12, and in this passage, we also see the baptism of fire mentioned. So we could consider this, this judgment aspect as one of the aspects of the baptism of fire, but that really doesn't give us a complete picture or a right understanding because the baptism of fire is connected to believers and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, that obviously doesn't make sense if you're saying it's judgment on sinners, but it's for believers getting baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. So that doesn't make sense. There's a bigger picture, and that's what I want us to look at for a minute. So uh, let me let me read this passage, actually, so that you can see what I'm talking about there in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through probably about 12, and I'm reading this in the NASB. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that these stones God is able to raise up as children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So there's that fiery judgment side of it. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there's a couple of places there where you can see the fiery judgment for the unbelievers, but you can also clearly see that he will baptize the believers with the Holy Spirit and fire. So I guess in some ways you could say there's two aspects of it. It's that judgment side of it, but there's a whole other side to it. And that really brings up the other thing that fire represents in the Bible, and that's purification or refinement. So if we understand that fire um, can be judgment, but it can also be purification or refinement, that changes our view and understanding of the baptism of fire. So based on this new understanding, the baptism of fire can easily be understood as the refiner's fire, the process of purification, and connected to things like our sanctification. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 
uh, 5 and 7 is a good example of this. It's when the angel takes the hot coal and he puts it on Isaiah's lips as a way of uh, cleansing him. So that's a good example of that refining process. Now, the baptism of fire can also be found in Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. And it's interesting because both Matthew and Luke connect the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the baptism of fire. So we also see this in Acts chapter 2, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire came down and settled on them. So there is definitely a connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of fire. And so it has to apply to believers because unbelievers don't get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They aren't forgiven yet. They're not restored in a right relationship with God. So we're definitely talking about believers, and this baptism of fire is something that comes on us, something that we receive. So let's, uh, let's take, a, take a little deeper look at what that may mean. Now, much like the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the baptism of fire has an initial event, but it's not limited to a one-time event, if that makes sense. See, we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then we're instructed to be filled with the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis. So we should always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of fire is a little bit like that because it does have an initial event. It's a, a something we receive. It's a cleansing, a, a, a purification that we receive. But there's also an ongoing process involved. And this process can be understood as, like I was saying, the refiner's fire, re, uh, testing, and proving. And here's the interesting thing. kind of circles us right back. God will use life events to further refine us. In other words, he uses those things in our life that challenge us, the things that we struggle with, to refine us, to help purify us so that we are living for him um, in, a, in a more holy and pure way. So let me read you a couple of passages here where you can see this. Uh, this is 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, let me get over here, verse 12. It says this, again, I'm reading from the NASB. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So we shouldn't be surprised when God uses difficult things in our lives to test us, to prove us, or to refine us. Let's go full circle again. That doesn't mean God caused that bad thing to happen to us, and it doesn't mean that he's out to get us. What it means is that he will use these bad things that happen in life because he knows they're going to happen, right? He understands that these things are going to happen to us. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have difficulties. And he uses those difficult things as a process to refine us, as a process to test us, and to turn those evil things into something that's good. He redeems that. Kind of reminds me of Romans chapter 8, right? 
he, for those who believe, he takes those bad things and he uses them for good because God can redeem that negative thing, that hard thing that's happened in our lives. He can take that, use that to further grow us and draw us closer to him if we allow him to. Now, let me read you another passage in 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in the middle of our difficulties, when we ask those tough questions like, why is this happening to me? We need to consider that God may be using that trial or that difficult situation as a refiner's fire and something to help us grow. And we may not see that right away, but you can be confident that the Father of lights is bringing all things together for your good if you love him, you seek him, and you obey him. So that's a little bit about the baptism of fire. It's a refining process. It's the way God uses the things in our lives to grow us. Now, there's a couple of aspects of the baptism of fire that's very predictable, and we should expect the refiner's fire or the refining process at some very predictable times. So let me just give you a couple of examples. When we first become a believer or when we've fallen away and we're coming back to the Lord, this is especially true if we're struggling with the old life or behaviors or addictions or any kind of problems like that. When we struggle, we can be pretty confident that the refiner's fire is going to come. God is going to allow some things in our lives to really purify us, and it's important in those times that we make a solid decision, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to trust Him, and I'm going to get past this temptation or this desire for the things of the sinful nature. I'm going to move beyond that. And uh, so we can get that baptism of fire at that time. And here's another time that it's especially true when we're being called into ministry or to a new aspect of ministry, or maybe we're going through a season of spiritual growth where things are just like, man, this is awesome. That's when you need to really expect that at some point there's going to be a testing. There's going to be a proving to solidify my spiritual growth. And that's important for us to recognize that it's going to come. It will happen. It's just a matter of time. Um, So expect that. Don't be surprised by that. And the third thing I want to mention here is that when we have a bad attitude or we have bad beliefs or bad behaviors, these can open the door for the baptism of fire to come and refine us, right? And this is really an aspect of God's love for us. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be drawn to him and have a deeper relationship with him. And for us to get closer to him, we have to 
get rid of some of the sin. Well, we have to get rid of sin, period, because he wants us to be holy as he's holy. And so don't look, uh, don't, what am I trying to say? Don't get upset when this happens. Just understand this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go through the fire and be refined so that I can be closer to the Lord. Now, there's a couple of things that we can do um, that will help us go through the baptism of fire. Maybe make it a more pleasant experience if if you, it can be, right? I mean, I don't know that it's ever pleasant, but we can make it a little bit easier on ourselves. And so I want you to think about this passage in uh, 1 Timothy, nope, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And again, this is NASB. And it says this, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now listen to verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we can see there that we have some responsibility to cleanse ourselves And so when we see that refiner's fire coming, we should be willing and ready to say, I'm going to participate with the process, and I'm going to walk with God through this process to take me to the next level in my purification and my sanctification so that I can walk more holy with Him. Another passage that is um, definitely connected with this is 2 Corinthians 7.1, and it says, Therefore, Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So it is important that when we see those those trials and those hard things coming, if we can identify that this is something God can use in my life to purify me so I can have a deeper relationship, then we can uh, participate in that process and purify ourselves as he's purifying us, because that's really a work of the Holy Spirit in us, is to cleanse us, to purify us, and we can participate with that. And it'll make the process a whole lot easier than trying to fight against him in that process. So, uh, you know, I just had this funny picture in my mind about a two-year-old as you're trying to help them with something, and they're kicking and screaming, trying to fight against it because they don't want it. Um, And, you know, sometimes we're like that. And the more we go, okay, I I recognize what's happening. I'm going to work with the Holy Spirit, the easier that process becomes. And the last thing I really want to mention is this. I want to challenge you to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, because in this passage, it talks about God dealing with us as children. And discipline, and God's discipline doesn't always seem pleasant at the time, but it's because He loves us. And so when you're going through those trials and challenges, 
and difficulties. We all have them. Sometimes they're job issues. Sometimes they're relational issues. Sometimes, you know, we get hurt by people, even people in the church. And, you know, we can go through difficulties. We shouldn't blame God for that. What we should do is say, God loves me. God is for me. I know that. And so I'm going to allow him to use this experience in my life to refine me, to draw me closer, and watch. And in the end, he's going to turn all of that stuff, turn it around for good for those who love him and are called according to him. So uh, I want to encourage you with that. If you're going through some things in your life today, if you're going through some challenges, it may be the baptism of fire at work in you and the Holy Spirit using those life events to really purify you so that you can walk in a deeper relationship with Him. Maybe He's elevating you in a position of ministry. Maybe He's trying to work out some of the the uh, things in our lives, the fleshly desires or the, the lustful things that we want that we really shouldn't. Maybe he's trying to purify that so that you can walk in a greater anointing with him. Participate in the process. Allow him to work in you and through you because he loves you. And I want to end with this. God is for you. If you can grab hold of that simple concept, God is for you. He is the Father of lights in every good thing, every good and perfect gift that comes down, we receive from Him. If we can grab hold of that, it will change our lives and our perspectives. So I want to thank you for joining today. Uh, Go ahead and smash that subscribe button if you haven't already. And just join us as we take this journey together. We're only on episode six, and I've got a lot of stuff to share. And my co-host will be back next time. So thanks for listening. God bless you. We'll see you next week.